I'm sure glad to be here tonight, and uh, what a good-looking crowd. Wow, you encourage a preacher. Now, I hope, uh, I, have, I formed a habit, I'll just give you a little uh, background here. Years ago of uh, preparing my message, and, and then um, after I had found all that I felt like God had for me to get from the passage or the thought or whatever the subject was, then I would try to find um, other speakers, preachers, who had uh, preached on the same maybe topic or, or at least the thought. Um, and so I prepared this one and I started trying to, and I could not find anybody that had preached on this thought. And so I said, uh, man, I don't know why the Lord hadn't spoken to somebody else about this. And this is a great uh, passage and a great thought. Um, so I'm going to invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, I guess it's kind of hard to get a missionary to not preach on missions, isn't it? Well, that's not my whole message tonight, but it certainly is there. And um, I think I probably couldn't hardly do one without uh, sharing that. You know, I thank God that he called me to preach. First of all, I grew up in the cotton fields. If you did that, you'd be thankful too. <laughs> but I think it's the greatest thing in all the world to preach the gospel. Now, now, if God hasn't called you and he's given you something else, then that's the greatest thing for you. But for me, to preach the gospel is a thrill of my life. I remember a class one day when um, it had to do with preaching, and Dr. Bill Dowell, any of you know that name? <laughs> one of my heroes. Dr. Bill Dowell was asked by one of our, our classmates, Dr. Dowell, how long do you have to preach before you, don't get, you quit getting nervous, before you get up to preach? And Brother Dowell said in his wisdom, I don't know, you'll have to ask somebody that's been doing longer than me. <laughs> and he had only been preaching about 55 or 60 years at that stage. Uh, and you know, I have that, my wife said to me a while ago, your hands are cold. And uh, that's, uh, I guess, part of that nerve thing that I mentioned there. Um, there's, a, there's a one thought that I want to leave with you. I want to try to develop for you here in these next few moments. But the passage that we're looking at is, um, it's not that very long. It's not a long passage. It's only a few verses here. But I want you to notice with me, we're going to go to chapter 9. I think I gave you that. But starting with verse 6. Now, verse 6 starts off, but this I say. So when you see the word but, you know that something else has been uh, dealt with before it, and, it, and it's kind of connecting, right? 
uh, there's a thought that, or thoughts that have led up to this. And so he says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth, through us, thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. I want to stop there. There's only a little bit left here. But I want you to see with me this, this thought that I, I guess this is going to sound like boasting, and I don't mean it that way, but I've been blessed to be able to read. I just finished in December, of course, my 40-some-odd, I don't know for sure, I didn't start counting in the beginning, but 40-some-odd uh, years of reading through the Bible once a year. That's not a whole lot, there's a lot of people that read it more than that, I'm told. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, so I'm, I'm saying that because I have read this passage all those times. But something grabbed me this year when I got to this thought and I said, Oh, Lord, that's a message. Would you give it to me? And so I began to work on it. He said, Well, I'll do my part if you'll do yours. But uh, so I, so I, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> Notice with me in verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration. Now. That word experiment grabbed me. And I thought, what experiment is he talking about? What is this experiment? I've got to look into this. Now, he said of this ministration, that means ministry. Ministry. By the experiment of this ministry. Wow. An experiment. What is the experiment? So I began to ask this question of the Lord, and, and, I, and, I, and I started digging and trying to uh, come up with what he's talking about here. Whilst by the experiment of this ministry, an experiment. So, so the first thing I did was I, I go and look up the, 
word experiment and uh, try to get some maybe uh, various meanings of it. But um, I still wasn't totally uh, satisfied with what I was getting. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. But I want you to notice a couple of other things here. He said, uh, they glorify God for your professed, that means openly declaring, openly declaring subjection. Being under the dominion of another is the idea. Unto the gospel of Christ and your liberal distribution. Liberal. Wow. When you uh, just, just think on that a little while, I think you're going to want to dig a little deeper yourself. What is the experiment that this great old missionary is talking about? What? Let's, let's say you may want to develop that. Now, there are two experiments that I want to just share with you in a moment, or for a few moments here, that changed the world. Two experiments that we're going to consider that changed the world. Now, remember, this is something that had never been done before. This, this, this thing of, of uh, this experiment that we're talking about. Jesus had 12 men that he challenged to reach the world. <laughs> My goodness, 12 men reached the world. How many we got here tonight? We got far more than that. We just need to get a message from God and, and get into it, get involved in it. But notice this. Twelve men to reach the world. And by the way, one of them turned out to be a dud, didn't he? So, so we got 11 guys that's going to reach the whole world. Now, he is starting his church. His church. Remember that? It is his church. If it's not his church, it ain't no church. That's what we'd say down on the farm, okay? And it's not good English, but it got your attention. <clears throat> Um, it is his church. And, and then using these men, these unlikely men, to build an institution that had never been. This, this thing of experiment, Paul is saying, in, in this work of God. Now... As we study the lives of these guys and, and see the development just a little bit, we realize how exciting things were for them in that day. Um, they had been accused of turning the world upside down. Now, we would say they were turning it right side up, wouldn't we? But the crowd that was accusing them, that was not a, that was not a nice term. They had, there had been occasions when thousands of people had been saved in one day. Keep in mind, 12 men, 12 men he gave the challenge to, 12 men, thousands in a day, and this had happened on more than one occasion. Read the first four chapters of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and you'll see what we're talking about there, if you're not familiar with it. 
So in around 30 years, these weak, feeble, common, common men had been used to accomplish such huge feats for God that should cause us today, us, to be embarrassed with all of the equipment and the means that we've got and, and you know, we could get on and uh, we could drive to Dallas and preach down there and get on a plane the next morning and in 19 hours we're on the totally opposite side of the world. One pl- I mean, the plane flying one trip, 19 hours. We can, and, and when you think of all of the, the means that, you know, these guys walked. Walked. They didn't even have the money for a donkey. Most of them. Maybe all of them. By this time, they probably didn't. Any of them have. But, uh, so, so when we see this, and we think on this, this issue, and we think, well, if, if 12 men uh, reached the world in roughly 30 years, what are we doing today? What is the problem? I thought, a lot, I thought on this for a long time. What is the problem? Why? 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 And you've already figured it out, I think. It's called commitment. 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 That, my friend, is convicting. Think with me. What all we have to do the work that God has for us. And, and, I, and I've got to say that commitment is the key. We've only seen a shadow, as it were, of what our great God can do, could do, and can do with people who are committed. These men prove that. Turn the world upside down, and now they've come here also, they said. Let me encourage you this way. I thank God for the good crowd we had this morning. And I thank God for the good crowd we have tonight. I thank, for God, I thank God for what he is doing in this church. I love this church. We, we drive an hour and a quarter, most of you know, one way to be here in the services. We love this church. We believe God is in control of this church right now. And we hope he always stays in control of this church. We believe we have God's man in the pulpit of this church week after week. Pastoring this church. We believe that. We love this church. But let me just share this with you. We must never ever think we have arrived. You know, uh, 300, 400, 500 people. That's a drop in the bucket to what God wants to do. And I can, I believe, foresee the possibility of that down the road here. But, but it's going to say, it's going to, it's going to require some commitment from a lot of us. Being committed. There's so much more to be done. And I am thrilled for the great missionary program of this church. When you walk down the halls, and uh, I hope you do, by the way, and stop and read those missionary letters. If you don't get encouraged you better have somebody check your encourager. 
it might be broken. And you see the, the, the great things that, that are being done and the lives that are being changed and, and the souls that are being saved around the world. You know, uh, there's never an hour of the day when somebody representing this church is not witnessing for Christ. Think of that for a moment. Wow, does that thrill your soul? Thank God for the great missionary program that, that we have the privilege of being involved in and the giving of, of these dear people here. God help us to never take for granted that people sacrifice in order to send missionaries out around the world. I remember, I remember one time, um, probably 30 years ago, never forgotten, never forgotten it. I received a letter in a very, um, I would call it frail handwriting, and uh, this was when we were in our first ministry in Australia, so it had to be longer than that, I guess. And I opened the letter, and there was a little note in there from a dear lady who was somewhere in her late 70s, and she had a disabled son that was her responsibility. She sent me two $1 bills. And she said, Brother Goodman, I can't do much, but I want to do something. And, and I want to have this part in your ministry. And this is all I can afford right now, but would you use it for the gospel? Wow. Wow. Somebody took, I had, I had those two, two $1 bills, American dollars, <laughs> laying there on my desk, and somebody got one of them. I don't know who got it, but I hope they needed it and didn't just want it. But the other one I taped behind a plaque that had been given to me with my name on it from the Philippines, and uh, it's sitting on my desk today. And every time I sit down at my desk, I remember the sacrifice of that dear lady. And, and I think some of you here sacrifice too to see that this great work for God goes on. I'm sure some of you do. It's a sacrifice for the things that you do for the cause of Christ and, and getting the gospel out around the world. And I thank God for you and for your uh, investment in the soul but but here here's my point in that that is called commitment that's commitment i wanted i wanted to meet that little lady but as far as i know i never got to i'm sure she's long been with jesus by now but i've often wondered when she met him when she met him, what transpired? Ah, wouldn't you love to have seen it? I would. Man, she gave what she could.
That reminds me of another story, but we won't go there right now. She gave what she could. I wish you'd quit trying to get me sidetracked because I'm dealing with this subject. Now, I've got to stop and blow. I, I hate doing this. Some of you will remember I told the story. Mrs. Cavan said, Doctor, said, D.A., you have got to stop blowing your nose in the pulpit. And he said, why? Dr. Cavan cried a lot in his sermons. And she said, he said, why? She said, it don't look good. And he said, it looks better than it would if I didn't. I kind of thought that was a duh, didn't you think? <laughs> That's a duh. The experiment. Somebody said this. It is dealing with a provedness or tried character. The experiment of the ministry, verse 13. The sincerity of their Christian profession was, it was evidenced by their liberal distribution. The experiment. And I read a few other thoughts on that word too, but, I, but I'm not going to go there right now because preachers said the morning service is an hour long and in the evening you can preach as long as you want to. <laughs> he didn't say that. But I had one guy tell me he was going to get a nap so he could stay awake tonight. I'm... I appreciate that. How many of you got a nap this afternoon? Let me see. How many of you got a nap? How many of you feel backslidden? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, now, here is what it will do. Excuse me again. <clears throat> it will enable someone to reach that couple that may very well be Roman Catholics, that God just might call to the ministry, save their eternal souls, never heard the gospel before, save their eternal souls, and then God calls them to the ministry, and, and, I, and I won't shout when I think of that, but I want to say that he also laid it upon the heart of the daughter to serve him. She married a preacher, and they're doing their, starting their second church at this time. They had twins, born later, twin girls. One of them is married to a young preacher who just surrendered to go to the mission field. Just surrendered to go. Got five little kids. I said to the dad, can't you talk him out of it? Five little kids. I've got grandkids. <laughs> uh, I was being facetious by saying that, of course. But, but recently I got word that that rebellious son who caused them all kinds of headaches for years had started a church. He and his Young wife had started a church, and it was through, uh, you're not going to believe this, I guess, but Facebook, he had started something on there, and he had over 200 followers on Facebook. And so he started a church. Uh, 
You never know what you never know. You never know what God's going to do with one soul that gets saved. Wow, I, I think of that, and I'm I'm so encouraged that when you sow the seed, it produces. It's just a matter of sowing the seed. Getting the seed in enough soil somewhere. We taught the same thing to our people in Australia. And I had a, I had a fellow go out with me one, one day. And uh, he wanted to be the lead man at, on this occasion. So I, I allowed him to lead. Well, it didn't go well. <laughs> they asked him three or four questions. And he didn't have the answer for them. He hadn't been saved very long. He didn't have the answer. So we came back to church, and he said to me, this was later, we came back to church later, and he said to me, Brother Goodman, I'm never going to go out again until I get all of the answers. I said, Peter, you'll never go again. And sure enough, I'm a prophet. He never went again. Never. I don't have all the answers. I've never talked to anybody that did have all the answers. I've had some tell me they did, but I knew better. So this experiment of, of reaching souls and, and, and doing the work of God, and, and that's what's being dealt with right here. That's what the experiment is, establishing a church that God will use in his great work. A church of God. There's another experiment that I want to talk with you for just a few moments about. And, uh, and it is, uh, I, I guess we could just sum this one up by calling it the American experiment. I thought of that as I read this thought on this subject. But before I go there, let me just remind you that this whole thing that we're, that we're talking about here in that context of those verses, six and following, is dealing with sowing and reaping, getting the word of God out to people, people. And, I, you know, we have a, we Americans have a, um, I don't know if I call it fascination or, or what, but um, you'll understand it when I finish here. Missionaries going across the waters and into foreign countries is um, so intriguing, so exciting. But let me remind you, there's a mission field just outside that door. You know what Jesus said about that? He said the field is what? The field is the world, yeah. Every, every person is a prospect for God if they're not born again. Every person. And the only way you'll know that probably is to Pin them down on it. 
here's an experiment in regards to this sowing and reaping. Try God. Try God. And see what he'll do. Uh, you know, um, uh, we again share this. I had a, one of our men come to me one time after one of our missions conferences in Australia. And he said, he said, Brother Goodman, um, I don't know what to do about this. He said, I want to increase my, my giving, but he said, I, I can't, I, I can't ha handle it if God gives me any more business. He said, he said, I've got more business than I can handle now. And he said, what if I start giving and, and I get more business? What am I going to do with it? <laughs> I said, man, you got a problem. <laughs> but you know what? God can handle that problem. Just trust him and do it. And he came back later and he said, I won't bore you with all the details, but he did. And uh, I said, oh, he did? No, I did not say that. God, try God. Uh, he, uh, somebody, sometimes people say, well, but I'm just, I'm just kind of having a rough time right now. Well, as the old missionary said, you just go ahead and follow God's leading and then you'll figure out what to do with the returns that he gives to you later. Now, that's not why you give, but it just works that way. And I can't explain it to you. I don't, I don't think I need to, but I can't explain it. How God can take uh, so little and make it go so far. But my wife will testify to that. Uh, God is able. He can do it. For your professed subjection. Now that's uh, an interesting uh, thought right there, isn't it? Your professed subjection. So someone said this literally would say, for the obedience of your profession of, of the gospel. Uh, it does not imply merely that there was a profession of religion, but that there was a real subjection to the gospel. They had subjected themselves to the gospel, to sharing the gospel. Oh, it's the greatest news in all the world, the gospel, telling people how they can avoid hell. I still, hey, let me share something with you. I still believe in a literal burning hell. I still believe it. Just as much as I did when I started preaching it 50 years ago. I still believe it. And, and any time we see someone born into the family of God, they have been snatched out of it. What a wonderful truth. I... <clears throat> Tyndale says about this, which praise God for your obedience in acknowledging the gospel of Christ. There was a real and, and sincere submission to the gospel of Christ, and they were giving of their, uh, giving liberally of their sometimes, oftentimes meager sum. And, uh, what, a, what an experiment. 
it's, it's such a thrill to see other people come to the knowledge of Jesus. I appreciate what the missionary shared this morning about his turning to the Lord. And, you know, I, it was 1967, and I remember it like it was yesterday. When the man came once again to our home and shared the gospel. I don't know how many times he'd been there, but he didn't quit. He was like that old tenacious bulldog you hear about. He just hung on. He kept coming, kept coming. No matter what I told him, he, he kept coming. And he said one night as he was leaving, Brother Good, or he, said, he said, Harvey Goodman, I've got to tell you this. I believe in the soon return of the Lord Jesus. And if he does come, your wife is going to be gone. And you're going to be left here. Well, I didn't like that. I was in a hurry for him to leave. He did. But he came back again. Came back again. But by the time he got there the next time, God had already used that. And he started getting his Bible out. And, and I said, hey, don't, don't do any of that. Just tell me what I got to do. He said, he said, get on your face here before God and, and ask him to save you of your rotten sins. And he didn't have to convince me I was a rotten sinner. I got on my knees there in our living room floor and asked the Lord Jesus to save my soul. It changed my life, but it changed my family. God has now given us two preachers that are out preaching because... They got saved, and God called them to preach out of our family, and I could go on down. But I just want you to know this. Sharing the gospel is always, always in vogue. It's a good thing to do. Don't worry about what others might think or say. Just do what you know God wants you to do. I started to share just or mention just a moment ago the other experiment, and, and we will call this one the American experiment. When I was sharing these, studying these thoughts in this passage and the experiment, this came to my mind. I thought, oh my, I've got I've to remind myself of this again. But listen, this American experiment is a unique and improbable experiment. In 1776, when Thomas Jefferson penned the Declaration of Independence and the American colonies defied Britain, the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, it was improbable that this thing was going to succeed. This experiment, very improbable. And as, as we look around at the world, at how difficult it is for uh, democracy, for uh, freedom to take hold, and for freedom to flourish, America seems like a political suicide. Think about it. Think of the countries of the world that would, that would be thrilled to have some of what we've got. Just some. And here I'm going to suggest something to you. 
I'm going to suggest it first in the form of a question. Is America an exceptional nation? You bet it is. And I don't care what president says what about it. It is an exceptional nation. Do you know that we've already got firefighters in the land of Australia helping over there? I don't know how long they've been there. I was going to look that up, but let it slip my mind. But it's an exceptional nation, this country of ours. In, eight, in, in 1787, when the founding fathers had hammered out the U.S. Constitution in Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Benjamin Franklin told an inquiring woman what the gathering had produced. His words were, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. A republic. Jefferson also knew how great the American experiments appealed, uh, appeal would be to others. He said, the flames kindled on the 4th of July, 1776, have spread across to much of the globe to be extinguished by the feeble engines of despotism. On the contrary, they will consume the engines and all who work them. End of quote. The self-evident truth that all men, all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, remains that powerful philosophical and moral foundation of a, a, a successful foreign policy no less than its foundation of the American Republic itself. And yet as we are seeing today, the advance of freedom and democracy is not a straight path. You, you look at the countries that are trying to uh, bring it about, it's not a straight path but one that sustains setbacks, and, and ours did in the beginning. I don't, I don't suppose many of you know this, but listen, Baptist preachers gave their lives in this country, in the beginning of the foundation of this country, because they believed this thing that I'm talking to you about tonight. And they believed in this American experiment and they were willing to pay the price. And almost all of those who signed that declaration lost their homes and their properties and, and sometimes their families and even their lives and others were, were placed in prison. Baptist preachers were locked up in a jail because of the, for the freedoms that you and I enjoy today. Listen to me, and you can have a different opinion if you want to, but I'm not in favor of these guys going and pulling the name Baptist off of their churches. It means something to me, and it'll mean something to them if they'll study it, but preachers have quit studying as a general rule. Dr. John Waldrop 
has written one of the greatest books I think I've ever read on the church. And I asked him the other day how things were going with it. And he said, well, pretty good, I think. But he said, Brother Goodman, these younger preachers don't read anymore. They get everything from the Internet. They don't read books. My answer to that is, you're at a loss if you don't. You're at a loss if you don't enjoy reading books. And if you don't read and keep books. Americans have kept their republic. And they built it to be strong. But it will only remain so. Young people, please listen to me right now. It will only remain so if we, if we continue constant vigilance, constantly concerned. I have great concerns about some of those in Washington right now that are practicing another religion that we're, that we're losing our American lives for on foreign fields and now we're bringing it into our government here. God help us to wake up. I don't like to be political, but I'm telling you, this American experiment is the greatest thing that has ever happened in this world, aside from the one we first talked about, this experiment. The bombing scares that are taking place in countries around the world, Scotland and Britain and Great Britain and, and there in London in London itself and, and the enemies of freedom are, are always out there. They're determined to bring it down. But listen to me. God is behind this thing. Those men who started this experiment were men of God. And uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of things that were written about them but a lot of it's garbage. They were men of God. And they, they gave of themselves. Democracy is still being attacked. And it's, re and it's retreating in other parts of the world. But we must not allow it in our great country. Must not. China continues on its path wanting to take us over. And uh, their hope, of course, is to prove that freedom and economic prosperity do not have to go hand in hand. Russia is taking the road toward a kind of authoritarianism. They're, they're wanting to take over. And I could, you know, I don't need to go there, you, you know that. Uh, especially in the third world countries. So I'm going to finish with this. Um, it's not over yet. Our God is still on the throne. I have people sometimes say to me, Oh, Brother Goodman, aren't you worried about what's taking place with the bombings and everything that's going on here? My question is this. Is God there or not? Is he still on the throne or not? Nothing is going on that, he don't, that he's not aware of. He didn't wake up yesterday morning and say, oh, oh, no, somebody's bombed. God is still there. He's still active. And as long as, as uh, young men 
are willing to sacrifice their limbs and even their lives for righteousness as they are constantly doing today, constantly doing. God will bless this nation. There needs to be, of course, righteousness among his people. But God wants to bless America. And God wants to use us, his people, in that great work. How will we face it? Will we be willing, as our young men that I just talked about are, this experiment, like that first one, is a wonderful experiment. And I am so thrilled that he has allowed me to be just a little part of it. Wow, what God can do and will do if, if we are committed to the cause.